please open up the Word of God to the New Testament letter of James. We're going to continue our study with chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 19 to 27, James 1, 19 to 27. And we'll be asking the question, what is your response? So James 1, 19 to 27, as always, I encourage you to grab your children, pull them up next to you, and have them follow along. Starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For any, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May God bless the reading of his word. In the previous section of James, we saw the contrast of the old nature in verses 14 to 15, and then, the, then we see the new nature that comes from God by his word in verse 18, which makes it clear to us that God is the one that creates a new nature within true believers causing one to be born again through the hearing of the word, giving us understanding to his word, and giving a response to his word. And it's important to state up front that the conversion process, being born again, it never needs repeated, nor can it be repeated. It is a one-time work of God that is kept by God. However, you cannot simply stay there. Just as much as you cannot physically be born and remain as an infant, you cannot be spiritually born and remain as an infant in the faith. How we move from the new birth to growth and the new life of being in Christ, this is really the question that James is answering for us today. And the answer, it follows the same pattern as that of your new birth. As God gave you new birth through the hearing of the word, you received his word with meekness, and then you began to do his word. That process never ends. Rather, it is to be continuously repeated throughout one's Christian's walk. So our outline today, it's very simple. It comes right out of the text. Hear the word, receive the word, and do the word. For point one, look with me again at verses 19 to 20 as we are called to hear the word. 19 and 20, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is an extremely familiar passage, so much so that many people hear it and they don't even know that it comes from Scripture. They believe that it's just simply good, moralistic advice. I think we would be hard-pressed to find any unbeliever or believer alike that would not agree with the fact that it is good to be slow to speak and quick to listen. However, 
listening to others is not the point of this passage. James, he is speaking to all believers, and he reminds us of this. He says, my beloved brothers. And this is the third time in chapter 1 that James uses the phrase, my beloved brothers. He is clearly speaking to true believers. And in case you, believer, do not think that he's speaking to you, he emphasizes the fact that he is by stating every person. So every believer must follow what James is about to tell us. He is speaking with true compassion and true concern for maturity in the faith, wishing that none would be deceived. The object of the passage, it's not so easily seen. And I believe that's why many people believe it's just simply good moralistic advice, how we should act with one another. But when you see the passage as a whole, you will see that the object of the passage is the Word of God. Beginning in verse 18 through 23, James directly refers to the Word four times. Verse 18, the Word of truth. Verse 21, the implanted Word. Verse 22, doers of the Word. And again, verse 23, hearer of the Word. Every individual that God has brought forth by the Word is then to press forward to maturity in the Word. He's not simply giving us moralistic advice for when we are in a conversation, but he's saying, be quick to hear the Word of God for yourself. Ecclesiastes 5.1 states, guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen. It's better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. See, when we come to the house of God, we should be coming to hear the singing, the praying, the preaching of the word, drawing near to listen, to hear God's word and allow it to penetrate to the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Thus far, I think it would be safe to say that everyone would be in agreement. We all should come to hear the word of God. So why does James make this plea for believers to hear God's word? See, just because you are listening does not mean that you are hearing. Some in this room, you're listening to every word, but you're not hearing a single thing. You're not consuming the word. You refuse to change a single thing in your life, even though you know what God's word says. At the conclusion of the service today, you will immediately walk out without hearing the word of God. You will continue to live as you want, day in and day out, unresponsive to the word. You allow the birds to come and devour that seed that has been sown on your path. Others are listening and you're being encouraged. And you're telling yourself in this very moment, this week will be different. I'm going to do better. But then Monday morning hits. Those Monday morning trials come. Your eagerness to be obedient quickly withers away, and you failed to hear the word. Yet again, others are already preparing a defense or criticism, maybe against something that I've said or will say in the near future. At the conclusion of the message, we see text messages begin to fly, emails will be sent, and you did not hear the word. You choked the seed that has been sown for yourself, and you run the risk of choking the seed for those that has been sown around you. But then there are some 
who have already been stirred by the Holy Spirit through the Word. You're being convicted. You're wrestling with sin in your life. Not because of anything that I have said, but you have heard the Word of God. And it is working to purify you through it. How can that be? How can there be so many different responses to the same message? You see this not just on Sunday mornings. We experience it throughout the week as well. We see the same varying responses as we go throughout our weeks. Some, Monday morning comes, you never even pick up the Word to read it. You never pray the Word. Some, you might infrequently read and pray the Word, but you quickly forget it. Some, you might even read and pray every day, but have no response in your life. Alec Matir makes the point of this passage. He says that it is possible to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, but to achieve no more than to have moved the bookmark forward. The word is read, but not heard. When the word is faithfully proclaimed and read, but the response is not hearing, the problem is not within the seed. It's not within the word, but it's within the soil. And so the point that James is making to us is, do you have an attentive spirit to the word of God? Do you have an attentive spirit to the word of God? Do you come before the reading and hearing of the Word with a humble, attentive spirit, desiring to hear from God, ready to submit to it no matter what it says, no matter how difficult it might be, so that one day you may be presented mature, complete, lacking in nothing? Again, the problem is not in the seed of the Word, but it's in the soil in which it falls. The opposite, clearly, of being quick to hear and slow to speak is to speak frequently and quickly. And you cannot hear the word when you speak frequently and quickly. Scripture tells us very clearly what the result is when our own words are many. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When anyone is quick to speak their own words, transgression, it comes just as fast as your words did, and it comes with great destruction. James 3, 5, he says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So when your words and my words alike, when they are many, transgression comes, setting a forest ablaze and revealing really who we are focused on. Which again, later on, James tells us in 4.1, what causes those quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Many words, the quarrels, the fights, they arise because we focus on ourselves instead of having an attentive spirit for hearing the Word of God. And I believe that is why James, he naturally, and by the inspiration of the Spirit, he moved to the negative command of being slow to anger. Because anger, it is the natural response to God's Word when the soil is acidic. You want to live by your own passion, speaking quickly, becoming angry with God's Word and towards others. So he states the obvious for us. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
no one's anger is pure. As one commentator said, every man's anger is heavily impregnated with sin, seeking self-importance, self-assertion, intolerance, and stubbornness. Therefore, it will not produce the pure righteousness of God in you. On the other hand, if you are quick to hear the word that God gave to direct your life and you practice a cautious response, you allow the word of God to work within you, anger will most often be avoided on all accounts. For when you hear the word of God, he then begins to work in you the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, peace and patience and kindness, gentleness and self-control. The first verse that we often like to teach to our children, yet all struggle to remember ourselves. Don't think that James is saying to remain silent at all times. Rather, he's saying that we are to first be refined by the word so that our words are then consistent with his. And I believe that's why James, he starts his full exposition on the tongue in chapter 3 with a warning. He starts right off chapter 3, Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's why it's such a, a heavy weight and at times almost incapacitating to step behind the pulpit and to teach and preach God's Word. We should all be quick to hear God's Word. And it moves us slow to speak and slow to become angry. Believers, how do you know that you have an attentive spirit to the Word of God? Well, in point two, James tells us practically what this looks like. In order to hear God's Word, you must be prepared to receive the Word. So point two is simply receive the Word. Verse 21, receive the Word. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save souls. Believer, you cannot hear God's word if you are not prepared to receive it with meekness. And the simplest illustration that I I could think of is when I know that the evening is coming and there's going to be a really nice steak or your favorite meal, and I will intentionally abstain from eating breakfast and maybe lunch as long as I can. Why? So I can fill myself with that savory steak. But on the other hand, if I know that the meal that is coming that evening is not so appetizing, I will be quicker to eat a very large breakfast and also a good-sized lunch. Simple, but I think it proves the point. If you're already full of something, you're unable to receive anything else. And James is quite simply telling us that in order to receive the Word of God, you cannot be full of filthiness and rampant wickedness. The imagery that he's giving us is that of removing soiled and dirty clothes. Filthiness, it points to anything, anything that taints, soils, or devalues our lives. Wickedness here, it's a general term, and it refers to everything that might be wrong in our character or in our conduct. So these two terms together, they cover everything from what is coming into your life and also what is going out of your life. Believers, you are to be constantly working to remove anything 
that taints, that soils or devalues your life, your character, and your conduct according to the Word of God. Because you were brought forth by the Word, you're to put away or to lay aside. The Scripture tells us to get rid of all moral filth so that you may then mature in the Word. In 1 Peter 2, 1-2, reading from the Legacy Standard Translation, it says, So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You have to first put off filthiness so that you then may be filled with the pure spiritual milk of the Word. So are you fighting to remove filthiness in your life? Are you fighting to remove impure things in your life? The music that we listen to, movies, TV shows, teenagers and adults alike, are you fighting to remove the influence of unbelieving friends in your life? 2 Corinthians 6, 14-15 says, What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Are you fighting for holiness? Or are you so full of filth and wickedness that there's no room for God's implanted word to grow within you? We can fill ourselves with anything. The idolatry of sports. Then there's no room for God's word to fill and to penetrate our hearts. We can memorize every athlete and every statistic. But then we say that we don't have a good enough memory to memorize God's word or enough time. Maybe it's not sports, but maybe it's politics or even money that is filling you. I couldn't help but be reminded we just went through the largest consumer-generated holiday? Are you so full of materialism and trying to keep up with the Joneses? As There is no room for God's Word in your life. Proverbs 27.20 tells us, Never satisfied are the eyes of man. Never satisfied are the eyes of man. Parents, as a parent myself, is your schedule or your children's schedule so packed full of extracurricular activities that there's never any time or energy to prioritize God through family worship? Or is the church, the bride of Christ, is it the first thing that you drop from your schedule when you're too tired? Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles us. Then, then we can receive with meekness the implanted word. We have to remove the filthiness and the wickedness that is in your life so that you can then receive the word with meekness. And this means to receive God's word with humility. To receive it with gentleness. It's a particular way that each one of us must receive the Word of God. Recognizing that you have no authority over the Word, but the authority has complete, or the Word has complete authority over you. Matthew 5 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
See, this meekness, it implies a self-control. A self-control to put off filthiness and to be humble and gentle. Live a controlled life. When you hear the word, it begins to then control your thoughts. It controls your attitudes. It controls your actions. We have to continually grow in these areas. Continually, daily, putting off wickedness. It's in essence saying that I'm going to die to my own desires and live a controlled life and receive with humility the word of God, which then will direct my path. It's a posture of heart. It's an attentive spirit. It's just not about gaining knowledge. Jesus warns against relying upon knowledge in John chapter 8. Jesus is speaking to a number of the Jews that knew the Scriptures probably better than any of us. They knew the works of God. They knew their heritage as being offspring of Abraham. Yet Jesus clearly tells them in John 8, 37, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. And he answers the question why they seek to kill him. He says, because my word finds no place in you. Does God's word find a place in your life? Their minds were filled with knowledge, yet they were not born again by the power of God's word, and the word was not implanted in them. This is also not receiving the word in a disgruntled attitude or an angry spirit, but with love and eagerness to grow in the faith. He tells us that his burden is light. So James is telling every believer that the word of God, it caused you to be born again, The Word of God is implanted in you. So now continue to receive it with meekness and allow it to permeate every area of your life towards maturity. And I found it interesting also, I noticed that this is in the present tense. It doesn't say to receive the Word once or someday in the future, but it really implies that we are to receive the Word of God with meekness daily. Again, quoting from Alec Matir, He says of this verse, our daily embracing of the word of truth creates the conditions in which the implanted word germinates, grows, and becomes fruitful. See, when you receive with meekness daily the implanted word of God that is already in you, the word then germinates, it grows, it then becomes fruitful in your life. I like what John Piper said of this passage as well. He said, receiving the external word replenishes the power of the implanted word. And then the implanted word creates the hunger to receive the external word. So receiving with meekness daily the word, it replenishes the power of the implanted word that is in you. And in that implanted word, it continues to create a hunger for the external word. This is why James says that the word is able to save our souls. Your soul, it depends upon the implanted word, and it depends upon the daily receiving of the word. Believer, you need the word every day of your life. It is the life of a true believer. Anytime someone comes to talk or maybe seek counsel, the first question, without a doubt, that I I ask is, how much time are you spending in the Word? 
I'm warning you ahead of time. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, if not more often, the response I get is not at all or very little. Your faith, your obedience, your peace, and your trust in God, it is directly correlated to the amount of time and effort that you put forth in the Scriptures. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Put off the counsel of the wicked. Put off the way of sinners. Put off the seat of scoffers and delight in the law of the Lord. Do you receive the word with meekness or are you too full of other things? And the good thing is the scripture doesn't leave that answer up to each individual's own interpretation. James tells us what fruit will be present in a person who receives the word with meekness. It's a spirit that says, God, I know that your word is good for my soul. It's a spirit that says yes to Scripture, no matter what those around you say, no matter what the world says, you will be obedient to God's word. And with that posture of heart, the word will move you to follow God's commands, and you will do the word. Look at verses 22 to 27 with me as we turn to point three. Do the word. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word, world. Again, I want to be very clear up front. This is not a message of try harder by your own strength as if you're working to earn your wages. It is exactly the opposite. James is telling us as believers to stop relying upon ourselves. Stop talking and hear God's word. Stop being prideful and holding on to the filthiness and the wickedness that's in our lives and receive God's word with meekness. So how do we know if we hear and receive the word with meekness? Well, men, I will start with you. Let me ask you, at what point in time do you realize that you did not actually hear what your wife told you? Think about it. You get up out of your favorite chair, go downstairs in the basement or to the attic, wherever it may be, to retrieve something that your wife asked you to get. And you arrive there and you start looking around, realizing you have no idea what you're there for. I mean, I speak from experience. You're now standing there and, and you don't know what to do. But that's not even your biggest problem. You just told your wife that you heard her. Now you have to go tell her that you didn't. Well, women, I didn't want you to feel left out. How many times have we asked you to let us know when the car is making an awful noise, don't turn the radio up? Okay. 
How about teens and children? How do we as parents know when you hear us? It's very simple. When you actually do what was asked of you. And it's no different with the Word of God. How do you know if you hear the Word of God? How do you know if you receive it with meekness? James says it very simply. You will do what it says. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. In my own interpretation, stop talking and theologizing and live it out. James gives us a grave warning in these verses, and it's a key theme in chapter 1. Do not be deceived. We see this in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And we're going to see it again in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. The idea of being deceived here is to be blinded to the reality of one's true state of soul. To be blinded to the reality of one's true state of soul. This is not just being deceived or ignorant towards a small detail. It is referring to the eternal state of your soul. Do not be deceived in thinking that you are in Christ when in reality you are not. It is extremely possible that you come to equipping hour, every church service on Sundays. You might sing your heart out during worship and still be deceived. You may come on Wednesday nights and still be deceived. You might even serve in the nursery and still be deceived. You can read your Bible every day and still be deceived, thinking that you are in Christ. So how do we know if we are deceived or not? Well, James lays out side by side for us the difference between those who are deceived and those who are not. First, those who are deceived, we see the man with a mirror in verses 23 to 24. This is a person who looks into the mirror and he sees that there's lettuce stuck in his teeth or there's mascara running down your face, not mine, but maybe yours. And you know that there's a problem and you say, oh, I need to remember to fix that. Then you get distracted and you run off to the next activity in life, forgetting or maybe thinking that you have time to fix it later. You looked into the mirror, you saw your sin but you ran off to do what you love and you forgot that you are separated from God. Many come to church out of habit and tradition. Some of you came today because your parents made you. You've looked into the mirror through the preaching of the word this morning and you will walk out of the doors forgetting what you saw, leaving unchanged, unconvicted of sin, Deceived because you think you did your good deed. And even before you pull out of the parking lot, you already forgot everything that you have heard and seen and reflected upon. Today, you're faced with the truths of God's word, and there is a grave danger that you will walk out of this building as one that is deceived. Forgetting sinfulness, forgetting God's holiness, forgetting that Jesus Christ, that he came in the flesh, 
that he was crucified to pay the penalty of death for your sin, that he was buried and he was raised, he ascended to heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his own. But you will be deceived. You continue to live as you always lived, attempting to please yourself through the pleasures of this world, yet telling yourself that you believe in Jesus and are saved. Those who are deceived are those who look into this mirror and they refuse to respond. There's no inward change. There is no response in their life. They're spiritually dead, but speak as if they believe. You will see no fruit in your life. You will remain quick to speak, and you'll continue to fill yourself with wickedness and filthiness. James 2, 17 to 19, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from my works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. There's a lot of talk, but no change in your life. But then James, he describes the true believer, the one who has not a mirror, but the word of God. The believer has the word of God implanted in them. And as verse 25 says, the believer looks into the perfect law and does not walk away forgetting, but perseveres as a doer who acts according to the law. Someone who has been brought forth, you will hear the word. You will receive the word with meekness and results in being a doer of the word. This simply means that the word It infiltrates all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your spirit, all of your emotions, and and you continue striving to be a doer. You persevere. Again, not acting in order to receive salvation. Rather, it is saying because you are saved, you will be a doer of the law. You must first be before you do. John MacArthur states that James Speaking of Christian doers of the word, he is emphasizing what they are rather than just what they do. It is a way of life. Continually responding to the hearing of the word, receiving it with meekness, which leads to being a doer of the word. The one who hears but does not listen, he sits passively, unchanged and immovable. You'll analyze, you'll criticize the word, but you never actually hear it. You never actually receive it. And therefore, you're not changed, and you're not a doer of the word. And we see this distinction also clearly stated in 1 John 3.10. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Speaking as someone who wrestled with this for a long time, do not think that you are saved by looking back to a time when you prayed a prayer, when you walked an aisle, maybe even when you were baptized, or had any other kind of experience. It's not a question of what your emotional experience was. 
each one of us to look to the life and death of Jesus Christ on the cross and then test our life against his life, to test our life against the word of God. So does your life currently reflect a life of obedience to Christ? If we look back on the past week, the past month, year, two years, 50 years or more, has your life grown and reflecting Christ? Romans 2.13, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Again, Luke 11.28, Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So what does it practically look like to be a doer of the word? Again, he doesn't leave it up to our own interpretation. In verses 26 to 27, James gives us practical applications of what it does and does not look like to be a doer of the word. And first, James tells us what a doer of the word does not look like. A doer of the word is not someone who has no control over their tongue. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This can be anything from gossip and slandered, wicked and filthy speech, or even someone who is nothing but all talk. You know the Christian language. You say all the right things, but on the inside, spiritually dead. And I also want to point out, I thought this was interesting, notice what is not said. It does not say, be spiritual and not religious. In fact, it actually reveals to us that there is a religion which is acceptable to God. I bring this up because our, our society, our, the church culture has developed its aversion to religion, and I understand why, but I also believe that it is misunderstood. See, everyone has a religion, and you will know it by how they speak and how they act. Because religion is simply the outward expression of one's internal beliefs. Religion is the outward expression of one's internal beliefs. And I feel safe in saying that everyone here has internal beliefs that are outwardly expressed. So what comes out of you is a result of what is in you. So we're told not to avoid religion, but to ensure that our religion is what is accepted by God and it does not deceive us. So someone who does not bridle his tongue is not a doer of the word, but is all talk, and as James says again, deceives his heart. And it's important again to notice that the tongue is connected to the heart. Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, how we speak or how you speak over time, it will reveal what is within your heart. Is it a heart of flesh which walks in obedience? Or is it a heart of stone that walks in disobedience? I was reflecting upon this and thought how difficult it is to speak to or witness to those who are deceived. Anything that you share that with them, it's met with a very quick response. They don't hear, 
They don't self-reflect. They actually are quick to deflect. Never receiving the word with meekness, never exhibiting any change in their life according to the word, continuing to speak quickly and with an unbridled tongue. So do not be deceived. Do not be quick to speak against God's word, but hear the word and receive it with meekness and then allow it to bridle your tongue, being a doer of the word. And next, James moves to the positive examples of what it looks like to be a doer of the word. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is twofold. First, it is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. See, those who hear and receive the word, again, will be doers of the word. In this case, they will specifically care for the least of these. See, this is pure religion that is accepted by the Father. It must be consistent with who He is. And we are told in Psalm 68, 5, that God, it says, God is Father of the fatherless and protector of widows. So if you are saying that he is your father, then you will care for the same things that he cares for. And in this case, the widows and orphans within our church family. James makes this point later on. James 2.15, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And notice that James, he also specifies how our doer of the word will care for the orphans and widows. He says specifically, you will visit them in their affliction. We all know that where one spends their time is where their heart is. So a doer of the word will Outwardly love by giving your time to those that need it most. The orphans and the widows. Lastly, James tells us that a doer of the word will keep oneself unstained from the world. Again, are you putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness in every aspect of your life? Anything that taints, soils, or devalues your life in character, or in conduct? Which man or woman are you in Psalm 1? The one who delights in the law of the Lord or delights in the wicked? Do you desire God's word? And are you taking advantage of every opportunity to hear, to receive it with meekness, and to fight to do what it says? James is very clear and to the point. He doesn't mess around. He gives each one of us what we need to evaluate our lives against so that we can know if you are truly of God or if you are deceived. So in conclusion, I ask again, what is your response? Another year has come and gone. So when you look back, do you see maturity and growth in your understanding of God and your faith in Christ? Or do you see growth in worldliness? It's a good question to ask. If you continue on the same path, 
prioritizing the same things that you prioritized this past where do you think it will lead you to in the future? Where do you think your marriage will be in the next year? Or what do you think your children or your grandchildren might learn to love from you in the next year? Look at your life. Make sure that you are not deceived. What fruit is growing in you? Are you quick to hear the word? Do you receive it with meekness? Are you a doer of the word? What is your response? Because Scripture commands a response. Let us pray. Father, how grateful we are that you have revealed to us yourself through the word. And Lord, you have not left us to our own ways, but you have clearly outlined, Lord, that we are to be doers of the word. Father, I pray that as a church family, each one of us would self-reflect, that we would hear the word, receive it with meekness, and then test our lives to see if we are doers of the word. God, may no one leave these doors today deceived, spiritually dead, yet thinking they are alive. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name. Amen.